the Hollywell Trust podcast testimony series, sharing experiences of those affected by the Northern Ireland conflict and those people who have taken the decision to take positive steps for the future. Now here is your host, Eamon Becker. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Hollywell Testimony Series. My name is Eamon Baker. This podcast is funded by the Central Good Relations Fund, the Reconciliation Fund of the Department of Foreign Affairs, Derry and Straban District Council, and the Community Relations Council. Thank you all. And my special guest this week is Joe Thompson. Joe works here in the Hollywell Diversity Community Partnership Building with Extern. This is an episode of the Hollywell Trust Testimony Series or Hollywell Podcast, where you can catch up on our on-demand service both on Apple Podcasts and at SoundCloud.com. You can catch up with episodes such as the Derek Murr Testimony. Uh, the fly was a week after the relief parade here in the city, and Simon Mowbray, the conductor of the Churchill, stood up at the, before they played the first thing and says, this first tune we're going to play, we played it for the first time last Saturday at the Apprentice Boys Parade. It doesn't even cause a ripple. You know, it doesn't cause a security worries and all that was at the start. You know, how's it going to look? You know, bands coming and they crossing the guild hall, they, they, you know, with bass drums and uniforms and stuff. Just don't even materialize. The Hollywell Stew Special Number One. Extern have been working with children and young people for almost 40 years. This is actually our 39th year. And we have always been quite innovative and try to find interesting ways to engage young people. So we're trying to build peace by bringing children together from both sides of the community um, to go on a trip to Legoland. The project is called Learn More, Use Less and it is a guide to reducing your risk to everyday environmental toxins. The artwork then will be displayed throughout various points of our city for people still remaining in those abusive relationships and the very popular testimony interview with James King and Eamon O'Donnell. Another woman came by and said, you'll never be bored. Yeah. We are never bored, we are never bored, we never, never, never bored. Download and stream these episodes for free on our SoundCloud page. Just go to soundcloud.com and look for Hollywell Trust. Or on our Apple Podcast page, just look for Hollywell Trust. The peace that we have now, I think, I think it's right to say that it's fragile, to be honest, but it's only fragile if we allow that small minority to break it. I've written a few words down here. Now, they're not my words. They are an adaptation of a three-way conversation from a TV show. And I'm not going to say which TV show it is, because in some ways that will take away from the power of the words. What I've done is I have sort of changed it from a three-way conversation to a soliloquy. Mm. If that makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. Because it's very hard to do a three-way conversation when you're doing all the voices yourself. <laughs> there is no question of the injustices of the past, of the pain and the hurt suffered by both sides of our communities. But the only way that anyone can live in peace is if they are prepared to forgive. We need to break the cycle. You say you want war. So when your war is over and when you have reclaimed this land as your own, what is it going to be like? 
do you actually know have you ever given this any consideration because go and paint me a picture but you can't because you don't know you don't actually know what you want so let me ask you a question about this brave new world of yours when you have got rid of lemons the other side and it's all wonderful and it's just the way you like it what happens to the people just like you the ones who disagree with how things are how will you protect your glorious revolution from the next one and you may say that you will win reality is that no one wins forever the wheel keeps turning we need to break the cycle because when you fire that first shot no matter how justified you feel it is you have no idea who is going to die you don't know how many hearts will be broken how many lives shattered how much blood will spill until everyone involved has to do what they always will have to do right from the very beginning they will have to sit down and talk you need to think do you know what thinking is it's a fancy word for changing your mind you may maintain that your mind will never change then my fear is that you will die stupid make that change stand your revolutions down you may consider yourself to be unforgivable so here's the gist of this something from out of the blue i forgive you after everything you have done no matter what it is i forgive you accept my forgiveness and pass it on maybe this could be the beginning of peace so you've found this piece of writing you said it was three voices yes and you've turned it into a soliloquy yes but it obviously attracted you it was one of those things when i saw it it gave me goosebumps mm. and that was primarily because of the acting involved in it but the words i've read the words i mean i've read transcripts of the words and even just reading them has always made me think there was more but it, it, it was sort of it was very particular to the situation in the program if you know what i mean yeah this was sort of adapt, this. this is distilled and sort of adapted down maybe what particular words give you the goosebumps for example i'm, I'm asking is it asking myself is it the word forgiveness it's for forgiveness because i think the bottom line is that unless we can forgive we don't have any hope at all any hope of any hope of change because if we hold on to all the pain and the suffering and there was very very real pain and suffering and no one could deny it but if we hold on to that it, it just festers and I, I mean it just it will eat away at whatever part of our soul that's there and would you be correlating in your mind a perception that we have not been able to forgive and that's why the peace is fragile unfinished at risk yes i think that for many people the pain was so great that forgiveness is difficult yeah but we have had precedent set by many people in the past and not just in this country but across the world 
where they have suffered equally and have been able to forgive those who transgressed against them. If you look at Nelson Mandela, I mean, a man who suffered for almost 30 years in prison and yet was able to come out and very clearly say to those who had wronged him that he forgave them. I think he actually said it as first public speech when he was released. Within this country there have been people who have publicly stated that they forgive those who maybe took the lives of their family members. You're thinking of? I'm thinking of, and I can't remember his name, but it's a man from the Alaskan bomb. Gordon Wilson. Gross's daughter said that he'd forgiven the men that planted the bomb. Would you be thinking, Joe, that people should forgive, or would you be thinking that it's an option that people could take to... No, I think I don't think we can force forgiveness. No, we can't say you you must forgive because you can't force any anything like that. But what we can do is we can create an environment to create the discussion that will allow people to develop that sense of forgiveness in themselves. This soliloquy that you read and and you were obviously you experienced the original program where there are more than one voice yeah gave you the goosebumps yeah is that because forgiveness is something of an issue for yourself as well i don't think that is an issue no i I mean i have managed to reconcile some hurt in my own life nothing to do with troubles or anything out there but i'd lost my wee brother when he, he was seven i was 18 he was killed in a car accident but i was able to sort of reconcile that and I know that I've never spoken to the man that was driving the car. Well, actually, I did speak to him, but I didn't know it was him because he was at the funeral. And he gave me a sympathy card. But it was one of many that day, and it was just put in my pocket. But later on, when I was going through them, one of the cards I had was from him. But in my mind, I've been able to forgive him yeah. because. He did not leave his house that morning with the intent of killing anybody. He may have been negligent in his driving or whatever, but you mean it wasn't a deliberate act. You mean for that, I can't hold anybody responsible. I guess when you say he didn't leave his house that morning with the intention of killing, you and I both know that during the troubles. There were people who did leave houses in yes. the morning with intention mm-hmm. of killing. And I'm guessing, therefore, that the relatives of the victims uh, would be thinking, that man got up that morning and his intention was to kill my father, kill my brother, perhaps kill my sister. And I'm wondering how that perception of intention would affect the, the individual's capacity to forgive. Mm. Well, you mean that's what that's what I said. You mean it's not something that can be forced on anyone. I think that if we allow and facilitate dialogue, and that if the greater communities promote a sense of forgiveness, that it becomes certainly more uh, realistic and achievable for those people. The greater communities promote forgiveness. What could we uh, unpack that a little? I more? I think that there's still within elements of the communities where, for many, the conflict's still alive. 
and that we will never forget and that that sort of attitude where it's you know, we always remember loved ones will not have died in vain you know, I mean statements like this where it sort of perpetuates that ongoing sort of struggle so always remembering not never forgetting may also be associated with never for, forgiving yeah because you can remember your loved ones and you can remember I'm not saying that we need to forget the ones that have gone but we need to maybe let go of, of the hurt and the anger because it won't encourage any growth if we go right back to the beginning of this conversation um, what I am imagining or understanding maybe you saying is that part of the fragility of the peace is our lack of forgiveness or incapacity to forgive or unwillingness to forgive our difficulty with forgiving I don't think there's any incapacity I think everyone has the capacity to forgive I think there's a certain amount of unwillingness because I think forgiveness is seen as a sign of weakness whereas it takes great strength to forgive I'm hearing in my head the lyrics of a Christy Moore song that goes stand up and cry like a man and people would see crying sometimes as a sign of weakness especially for men mm. so there's a social programming that crying is a sign of weakness forgiving could be perceived mm. as a sign of weakness yes but you're saying it's perceived as a sign of strength yeah i think we need to we need to flip that coin and and let people see that to forgive and to accept difference is, is a great sign of strength how joe might this aspect of the conversation apply in the work you do the valuable work you do with extern with at-risk young people the work that we do and we do work with some of the most vulnerable young people within this city and people from the most socially various within Europe mainly and I know this sort of conversation came out of comments that I had made over the weekend about hope I think that a lot of our young people have lost hope they see just that things will be the way they are and I mean a lot of our young people will fail to achieve the level of academic qualifications that they're capable of and that's due to sometimes a lack of awareness of the style of education that suits them. They don't fit the prescribed style of, I will tell you what it is, you will write it down next time, I will mark it, you will pass. And not everyone learns like that. So the education system to some way fails them by not adapting and changing. We are not necessarily educators in the traditional sense of the word but we we in extern we in extern yeah but i do feel that we do educate our young people i feel that we give them valuable life lessons we give them learning about themselves we let them see that who they are is the right thing for them that they are not bad people they are young people who have difficult circumstances and react accordingly but that we can teach them skills and ways to adapt and to grow from their circumstances could you speak of without naming people obviously mm. particular examples of work that you've done 
that has been educative for the young people involved and has been inspiring for them, literally bringing hope into their lives. If you look at the term educating young people actually as in maybe teaching them something different or giving them new knowledge. I can think of one where it was a girl and she kept saying that she didn't understand me. And this was very early on in my days when I moved to work in Derry. So I initially thought it was just because my accent, she couldn't understand me. And this was over a period of a, of a few hours and she kept saying, but I don't understand. And I was like, well, I'll speak slower. And she goes, no, you don't understand. I went, okay, so nobody understands now. And she goes, no. And she said, you and the people that work with Exeter give us all this stuff. But you never ask me for anything back. I've never had anyone give me anything that didn't want something back for it. That child was able to see that there are people there that will give opportunities, that will give their time, not for any reciprocative thing back, but just because that we recognised her worth. I can think of a situation which an experience shared with yourself a few years ago. And we did a creative writing piece of work and uh, one of the boys ended up writing a poem. I won't say what the poem was because it would sort of identify who this was. The poem moved everyone to tears. That boy, his words to you from what I can remember was whenever you said that was a wonderful piece of writing, he said, but I can't write. I'm in the stupid class at school. I mean, he had been told he was stupid, and yet, within the space of an hour, he had brought 12 people to tears with his words. And even after that, he, he, he had written another couple of pieces for me as well. Just here, look, I've, I've written this, what do you think? But that gave him that sort of feeling of maybe I'm not stupid, a feeling of worth, a feeling, you I mean, that all through his school, and he was in probably fifth year possibly at that stage, that all through school he'd been told he was stupid, he was put in a box with the stupid people. But yet he had a way with words that could bring tears to the eyes of adults. But I think as well as that, what we, what we do is that we give them the environment that allows them to take that chance. At some stage he had to think, well, I'll write this down, but it's probably useless in his head because I'm stupid. This is not going to work. But we were able to give him, I suppose, the strength to take the chance and write it. And not only write it, but then read it out loud. Because it's one thing to write something down, but to share that then, and to share it with your peers, that's a big step. The young people that come through our groups are all extremely supportive of each other and I know where we've been involved in other projects which may have had young people read passages from short stories or whatever and maybe through I mean uh, because they're dyslexic or something that the words that they're saying out loud aren't necessarily the words that are on the page but yet no one ever criticised them for it we just I mean the young people just supported it well done because it was just, it didn't need said. The fact that the young person was able to read out loud was worth more than the words that were on the page. That they were had overcome their, 
reluctance to read not only just for themselves but then to read for other people that in itself was far more beneficial than the actual words that were on the page I'm thinking that you're referring there to work as you've been doing with the reading rooms yes uh, at the Faribault Arts Centre and I'm reminded of you telling me one time that you had an allotment project the allotment is out I don't know where it is I do I do know where it is <laughs> I don't know what you call the area uh, it's out next towards Calais uh, if you're at the allotment you're looking straight across the river and you're looking at New Buildings MOT Centre so mm. people know the area they can go to New Buildings to the MOT Centre across the river and you can see the allotment but we got the allotment for a couple of reasons it's good to get young people outside it's good to get them disconnected from technology too often the only exercise they get is with their thumbs as they text or they game or whatever so part of the, the thinking was that we would get young people outside and active and in the fresh air we also there's the obvious benefit is that we would we would actually grow produce and that by growing vegetables and fruits such as strawberries whatever that young people then would maybe improve their eating habits and if you have grown the food you're more likely to eat it than you will if you buy it in the shop that's the theory anyway uh, so that worked and it's still ongoing the other aspect of the development was one that we didn't foresee at all and what it did was it offered the opportunity for some intergenerational work because Primarily, the allotment holders are older and are often equally nearly uh, as looked down upon by the wider community as young people are. So it's, I mean, old fogies and they're only a nuisance or whatever, or look at those hoodies, they're just hanging around corners, sitting in the way. The interesting spin-off from the allotment was that the allotment holders were very keen to engage with our young people in conversation and share knowledge because everyone likes to share what they know yes and it gave them an opportunity to speak to young people and then sort of break down that barrier of all young people are going to be verbally abusive or they're going to rob me or steal anything but it also broke down the barrier for the young people that all old people are cranky and crabbit and don't understand so that was a spin-off that we didn't actually foresee the other side of the allotment is that it's a, it's a peaceful place and this is about peace so we're, we're but it is a peaceful place in, its, in itself you know if, if i viewed the allotment as a, a microcosm of society so you have young people and older people working harmoniously together in creating good relations yes which are obviously an essential component yes of of peace building if you could now say how you think the work of extern fits into community peace building or community relations building it does fit in to the wider sort of aspect of peace building if we look at peace as not the uh, maybe not in the in the in the conflict resolution aspect of 
we had the troubles and now we need to be can we uh, get away from that and maybe the work that we do doesn't necessarily buy has become a part of that uh, but if we look at a peaceful society I think the work that we do definitely does because whenever the inhabitants of a society are at peace with themselves then the, the, the circumstances for peace for the community as a whole are greatly enhanced. I think what we do is that we give and this is something that I had wrote about at the weekend and I know it was a post you had saw and I think that a lot of our young people have that sense of hopelessness that they feel that there is that nothing will ever be any different for them and I think that the role that we have is to re-establish that hope for young people and that if to let them see that they're allowed to aspire for for greater things the way we do that is through our own behavior to your role modeling so we we model there was a, a quote that i said the children need models not critics the staff all the staff involved next turn are extremely professional and we all have that core belief that what we do is always for the betterment of the young people we work with. That our behaviours and part of the, re the reasons behind the residential weekends and stuff, yes, they're about the fun aspect and the activities, but whenever you spend time with young people to the extent that we do, that our behaviours can only model you may become a model for them the way that we interact with each other the way that we interact with them the way that we see them and see their potential can only rub off on them what we have we've started a a project with some of our older young people and we, we named it the young graduates and with that we have a, a group of 12 I think there's 12 young people, 13 maybe, who now have become peer mentors, now who are volunteering with different groups within external and outside as well externally. But what they have done now is they, they are modelling. They have taken the behaviours that we've shown them, that we've given them skills, and they are now modelling for younger children. It's a slow process. We can change for the greater good I think that we, we offer that hope for change and we offer that vision of their true potential and I'm thinking of this Joe as we draw to your close now I'm thinking of this in the context of many young people too many feeling hopeless in their lives and going to the bridge yes so all the more important that young people especially young males have hope in their lives have a glimpse or a sight of their potential definitely but encourage all our young people that we work with and in turn the ones that we don't work with but that they're friends and, and peers that it's it's okay not to be okay and it's certainly not a sign of weakness to come to someone and say I'm not okay. 
and again it's back to the whole you, you said about you mean it's a sign of weakness for a man to cry for you mean we have a generation of young people who feel that it's a sign of weakness to accept help and assistance or even seek it I know there is a, a shortage of services but there are the, there are some take advantage of the help that is there don't ever feel that there's no one to talk to because there's always someone next week on the Hollywell testimony series and my guest is Liam Campbell community relations worker at the Playhouse they're working together on the theme of home and homelessness and the the teamwork the nature of the collaboration says everything you need to, to say about why we need not deprioritize the trenches anymore as i talked about this previous election a lot of it was discussed and fought and given a platform on the them versus us and when you work with these young people it's just so not important at the, you know when they're homeless when they have young children it just fades and falls away from the priority missed an episode then why don't you search for all our podcasts on our soundcloud.com page. Just search for Hollywell Trust. Or on Apple Podcasts, search for Hollywell Trust. I would like to thank my guest, Joe Thompson, for taking the time to share his story with us. And our guest next week will be Liam Campbell, community relations worker at the Playhouse. If you've missed any of our testimony episodes, a special playlist featuring every episode to date can be found at soundcloud.com. Just search for Hollywood Trust and you will be able to stream or download every episode. Otherwise, all our episodes can be found on Apple Podcasts and at stitcher.com. You can stay up to date with us on our social media pages. On Facebook, look for the Hollywell Trust. And on Twitter, it's at Hollywell T.